This podcast may not be suitable for young listeners. We discuss very emotional topics and at times use grown-up language. Each episode could contain content that may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to The Secret in My DNA. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Michelle Perret. The Secret in My DNA is a podcast where NPEs and MPEs can share their stories. NPE is an acronym for Not Parent Expected or Non-Paternal Event. MPE means Misattributed Parental Event. This means that we've discovered that at least one assumed parent is not our biological parent. In 2016, I found out I was an NPE after taking an ancestry DNA test, and suddenly life as I knew it was no longer the same. On this podcast, we share the experience of making our DNA discovery and what the journey has been like since. Most people cannot empathize or understand unless they've lived it. I find the podcast platform to be a wonderful way for us to come together as a supportive community in which we can heal from the trauma and take back our narrative by sharing our stories with the hope that this will help others to cope with their new life-altering truth. Welcome to episode four, The Right to Know. My guest today is Brad. Hi, Brad. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you. So why don't you start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Okay. So I am 51 years old now. I made my discovery when I was 48. So I'm a few years into it. I live in Texas. I've lived in Texas all my life, just outside of Dallas. Um, I've been a police officer for 28 ish years. And that's, I've got a wife, three kids, and a whole lot of new family lately. <laughs> a lot of new branches on your tree. Yeah. Yes. So when you made this discovery, um, what was your reaction and, you know, what were all the feelings that you had that came along with that? It totally, it took my breath away. It just kind of turned my world upside down. So in your intro, you talk about NPEs and MPE, and we can add a new acronym to it, which is LDA. So I'm a late discovery adoptee. So I lived for 48 years, assuming the people that raised me were my biological parents only to find out that I'm not biologically related to either of them. Wow. Wow. And so um, I assume you discovered this through a DNA test? Yep. I did Ancestry just like you did. My wife and I did it purely for fun. I'll put my air quotes up there because it wasn't quite as fun as it seemed like it was going to be. Um, we probably did it back in 2015, 2016 when it was fairly new. And we did it. I was kind of curious to see where I came from because that was something the parents that raised me never really talked about. And when I brought it up, they just kind of blew it off and changed the subject. So I was always curious to see back historically where we came from. So my wife and I did the test. Um, when, when it came back, I looked at the map, saw my map, said, okay, well, I've got, you know, a little Scottish, English, Irish. Okay, great. And I closed it and I never looked back at it. So I didn't, I assume I knew it's been so long since we did it. I don't even remember if I really paid attention. 
I never really thought through anything past I'm going to see a map of where I was from. I didn't think about matching to live real people. It, it just never crossed my mind. So my wife stayed on and played with her ancestry and linked up things and built her family tree out. I never looked at it again. So it took till 2018 for someone to reach out to us that ended up being my aunt through ancestry saying, Hey, I'm a match to this person. And I can't figure out how she actually knew how, but she was trying to gently ease into that conversation or she thought she knew. And that's how we started down this road. So growing up, you had no suspicions at all that your assumed parents were not actually your biological parents. Not a single clue. I I was always bummed. I didn't look anything like my dad. My dad's a pretty handsome guy. And I was like, and I don't look like my dad. I looked a lot like my mom though. And now seeing pictures, my biological mom and my mom looked a lot alike. So other than I was bigger than everyone in my family. I'm about six, three, six, four. My dad was five eleven, and there was never an explanation for why I towered over everybody. There wasn't really anything else that gave it away. I never had an inkling, never a suspicion. It was always, oh, well, there's some tall people back in whoever's family and you've just never met them because it was from a long time. It was always just explained away and dropped. And I guess I come from a fairly small family. So my adoptive mom is an only child. My adoptive dad had a brother that spent, I think all of his life in California. So we never really got together as a family that much with anybody other than just us. So there wasn't ever a comparison to start looking around often and be like, none of these people look right to me. And did anybody else in the family, aunts, uncles, cousins, did they all know that you were adopted? I've eventually found out, yes, every, everybody was in on it, but me and how, I mean, I know we didn't see each other, but how that managed to stay a secret for 48 years shocks me because I've never thought anybody could pull that off, but they did. Do you think your, um, adoptive parents asked family members, please don't say anything to him. This is something we want to tell him when it's the right time or, um, I don't think they ever planned to tell me. Um, I found out from one of my, it would have been my adoptive dad's brother's first wife, I think, but they'd been divorced for quite a while and I'd kept in touch with her and she and I talked one day and I finally just asked her, I said, you know, I'm not gonna be mad. I'm just, I really want to know, did everybody else know this? What's the story? And she said, well, when your parents decided to adopt your grandmother, called us all in California because they were all there except my parents were in Texas and said, Hey, they're adopting a baby. They're getting the baby on this day. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Everybody was all excited. This, um, I don't know what to call her an aunt. I guess this aunt had adopted siblings in her in her family. So she was all excited about it. And she said about five minutes after she got the initial phone call, she got another phone call. If you've told anybody, call them, tell them not to tell because nobody's ever going to tell. And that was how that went. Why? I'll never know. My, I think my dad may eventually have told me, but he passed away about a year after I found out. So there's no more answers there. My mom has, or adoptive mom has fairly advanced Alzheimer's. So answers and explanations for why things happened 48 years ago, 
I don't really have much of a shot at getting. Okay. So when you made this discovery, you did speak with them though about it yes. and confront them. And yes. what was their, what was their reaction to that? Um, it was kind of a mixed bag. It, it initially was defensive is probably not the right word, but it was that whole, we're still your parents. Nothing's changed. All the things that most people hate hearing because everything changed, but we're still your parents. We still love you. Nothing's changed. Nothing's going to change. And the part that I disliked probably the most was we've been trying to figure out a way to tell you. Cause I just sat there knowing you couldn't figure out a way in 48 years to tell me. And now you want me to believe that you were sitting around trying to figure out how to tell me. I just don't buy it. How are you feeling in that moment? Um, mad more than anything else. Cause there's, there was so much that suddenly made sense that it, it's hard. It's really hard to explain. Like you said in the intro for people to empathize with the idea of I had never known things were off until I knew that, until I found out and knew why they were off and suddenly things made so much more sense looking back where before I had no explanation for things, all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, so that's why I'm like this. And they're like this. It is there, you know, there's some biological traits there that I thought I was just kind of the oddball in the group. It's like suddenly all these little light bulbs turn on, right? Yes. It's exactly like that. And the same thing happened for me these little kind of nagging questions and little things that I didn't quite understand throughout my childhood. And I do remember asking about, it and it was just quickly dismissed. Um, did that just didn't make sense at the time. And then all of a sudden all these little, you know, light bulbs turn on and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's why I was wondering this, or that's why I was questioning that, you know, but you kind of, you know, when you're growing up, you tend to kind of just push that stuff, you know, to the back of your mind. It doesn't make sense at the time, right? That That's exactly what it is. I mean, growing up, so my dad or adoptive dad played baseball and football through high school, through college, had scholarships, had offers to go to the NFL. My mom was very business oriented. I tried all growing up to do sports. I suck at sports. I'm just, they're not my thing. I tried football didn't enjoy it, played it through like middle school and junior high, hated it, swam for a little bit. I enjoyed that because it wasn't a team sport, but it still wasn't something that was my thing. I, looking back, I see now I had a lot much more of a creative side that I ignored and pushed down because that's just not what we did. So they never tried to steer me away from it. They never tried to steer me towards sports even. It was just, that's what I saw that we did. So I want to do what we do. And that's what I did and ignored my more true self because I thought that was just an oddball characteristic of mine. And a lot of boys growing up want to be like their dads. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're going to come back in a little while um, in this episode to talking about your adoptive parents. But first, um, I'd like to ask you if since your discovery, you have found any new biological family members, which I think you mentioned you have some new uh, branches on the tree um, and how they reacted when you found them. So it, uh, yeah, my family has grown exponentially. Like, like I said, the child of 
an only child and one with one sibling to a huge extended family. The person that found me through ancestry was one of my aunts. Um, and outside of that, I have, and I was an only child as well. I may have said that. I can't remember, but I now have two half brothers, one from bio dad's side, one from bio mom's side, a half sister from bio mom's side, more aunts and uncles. And I can count some of them since I've made the discovery. I've never even got to meet before they passed because a lot of them are older. Um, my bio mom, unfortunately passed about 19 years before I made my discovery. So I don't get to meet her. My bio dad is in prison. I've learned a lot about being in prison since making this discovery. He and I have connected by email, by phone, and probably about a year after I made the discovery, I actually went and saw him and I've seen him once more since then it's COVID complicates everything. So I, I met him in person and a month later prison visitation shut down. It stayed shut down till just about a month ago. I saw him again and it's already shut back down with the new uptick of COVID numbers. So as far as reactions, the aunt that found me through ancestry was actually actively looking for me. She was who my biological mom was staying with in Dallas when she had me. So the aunt that found me was the only family member that actually knew for sure that I existed. They had kept it all the, all of the rest of my biological family was in California and they just never told anybody. And once my bio mom had me, she moved back to California. Okay. So does that mean that your birth father also didn't know anything about the pregnancy or didn't know about you? He knew that she was pregnant, but wasn't convinced or sure that it was his. They were not like boyfriend, girlfriend. They were get together for fun here and there off and on, um, which he did. He admits with everybody that offered. So he wasn't necessarily convinced that I was his. He was in a motorcycle gang. So he spent a lot of time on the road on his bike traveling around. So he wasn't really around a lot to see what happened. And by the time I was two, he was in prison and he's been there ever since. So there was never really any reconnect after that, because pretty quickly after that, he found himself locked up. He was convicted of murder and given a life sentence. He's in Louisiana and life in Louisiana is actually a life sentence unless they put any kind of number attached to it, which he doesn't have. They've just done some sentencing reform in Louisiana that allows prisoners to petition the court that sentenced them, the judge in the court that sentenced them, as well as the district attorney's office that sentenced them. And if the district attorney and the judge will agree to a sentence reduction to make him eligible for parole or give him time served, that's an option they have, but nothing they're obligated to do. So there's an off chance that he could, but that's something that actually doesn't even come in. Well, that actually becomes a law. Monday, I believe. So it comes becomes a law tomorrow and there'll be some test cases, but we'll see. Current, currently as his sentence stands right now, no, he'll be in prison. 
And what was his reaction to finding out that you are in law enforcement? Um, it was kind of a mixed bag. So it's a weird, it is probably one of the weirdest things. His other son is also a cop in a city, probably about 20 miles from here where I live. So both of his sons end up being cops. He has no other kids that he knows of. We're not neat. Neither he, me or my half brother are convinced we're the only ones. We're just the only ones that know about it currently, but he's already adjusted to it because he already had a son that was in law enforcement when, before he ever found out about me. Okay. Now, other than meeting your birth father, have you met any other biological family members? Yes, I've met. So when all of this started, the first person I met was my um, sister on mom's side. She and I are, I'm a little bit older than she is, but close in age. I had been talking to the aunt that found me through Facebook. She connected me to my bio mom's other two sisters through Facebook. We all started talking. Then I I became the king of awkward Facebook messages of, Hey, this is going to be weird, but it turns out we're related. And the aunt that found me had kind of paved that way because I mean, by the time she found me and was confirmed, it was me. She was telling everybody that she had found me. So you know, when I talked to like my sister, she already knew, but she was in shock because this was something that my bio mom took to her grave. She was married for about 30 years before she passed away. And she never told her husband, never told my sister, never told my, never told a soul that we know of other than the aunt that was there at the time I, that she was pregnant and I was born. And did your aunt ever mention if your mother ever did try to look for you or wanted to look for you before she passed away? She's never said, and I, I don't know because they, um, they all didn't live right close to each other. As soon as I was born and my bio mom was released from the hospital, she headed back to California. And then after that, she started having a family of her own. And so it's, there's a whole, I doubt she did. There's a whole other, much more complicated side to the story, which is that my bio dad is also the aunt that found me on Ancestry's um, ex-husband. So he was married to my bio mom's sister prior to having me with bio mom and they had split up. um, Oh, Let's see. I think they'd been divorced a year or two before bio mom had me by. So an aunt that found me through ancestry suspected who bio dad was, but my bio mom would never tell anybody who it was. Now that I've met bio dad, if you were to put me in a group full of people, there'd be no doubt where I came from. So that wouldn't have made it better because they all it's, it's a weird kind of intertwined group of people. Bio dad grew up with his bio dad in Stockton, California, and his mom lived in Dallas. And when he'd get in trouble with mom, they'd ship him to Stockton. When he'd get in trouble with dad, he'd get shipped back to Dallas. Um, so he was actually, he lived right down the street from my bio mom and all of her family growing up. They all knew each other. He was friends with um, her brothers before he married the sister so they were all intertwined and then all ended up down here. The three of them all ended up down here in Dallas. The, the, the short 
complicated version of it is my bio dad was living in Dallas, married to a different lady, not my aunt. My aunt and her sister, my bio mom, had both moved to Dallas and things rekindled between my bio mom and bio dad while he was here married to somebody else. Right about the time that my brother on his side was born because I was conceived when he was probably four or five months old. And when you first got in contact with your birth father, was there any fear of, um, of rejection or what his reaction would be? I want to tell you no, because I had pretty much convinced myself that I'd take a shot at this. And if he didn't want to talk to me, I've had 48 years of life without him. I could obviously continue on without him, but listening to other MPEs talk, talking to other people and seeing some of the rejections. I think if he wouldn't have been willing to talk to me, I probably would have been a lot more devastated than I had prepared myself for. I had kind of built up a great wall of, yeah, if he didn't want to talk to me, he doesn't want to talk to me and I probably won't like him anyway. But I think that was just trying to bolster my own confidence because it's just a disaster of a scary thing to reach out to somebody that's suddenly your parent. Sure. And what about any fears of how your um, biological half-siblings would take the news? Um, the biggest thing really for that was my aunt said that, you know, they, there were some struggles with them just because on bio mom's side that they all felt like they were really close and she had kept this huge secret from them. Um, but they, they all so quickly embraced me and were welcoming just with opening arms that I never really had to have much of a fear of connecting with them because they were just so open. And it, it all, I think what's, what made things different for me probably than a lot of other people's stories was I didn't have to search for anybody. So there, I didn't run that long road of, I'm scared I'm going to find somebody and they're going to reject me. I basically had my entire biological family dropped in my lap by my aunt, short of knowing hundred percent for sure. Then who my bio dad was. Everybody else came in a, I'd call it a neat wrapped package, but there's nothing neatly wrapped about it, but it all was there at once. So there wasn't a lot of time to wonder, well, what's going to happen because it, it, it happens super fast. And have you met your aunt yet in person? Yes, I've met all of them. So I've met the aunt that found me, my bio mom's two other sisters. I've met my sister. I've met both my brothers. Um, one uncle so far, I think three cousins, what, what ended up happening shortly after it, it kind of all snowballed. I met my half sister first, my half brother from mom's side lived in Austin. So that wasn't near as easy. I, I and I left out here. So my aunt that found me lives in Tennessee. She lived here near Dallas before her husband passed. She moved to Tennessee, but my half sister on mom's side, my half brother on dad's side and my other two aunts, we all have lived almost our whole lives about 30 or 40 miles from each other. So meeting everybody face to face wasn't hard because we were all right here in the DFW Metroplex. So 
shortly after I met my sister, I met my half brother from dad's side. And then my cousin around Christmas time kind of threw a family get together for bio mom's side. And I, I met, it was overwhelming, but I met everybody all at once then. And then with my brother on my bio dad's side, it was so bizarre and it just, it made my world felt like it just shrunk because not only were both cops in cities 30 ish miles apart, he and I both started working in a J in the same jail two years apart. I left it two years before he started. He and I have similar tastes in music. And after the first time we met, we started talking about music and things we've gone back and cataloged probably five or six concerts that we both were at at the same time. And just neither one of us knew we're both fairly convinced we were probably in police trainings together and just never knew that each didn't know each other existed. So we never knew to look for each other, but we've shared a lot of the same space before we ever knew about any of this. Oh my goodness. That to think that you could have been just walking right past each other never knowing that you were brothers. How do you like now going from being um, an only child to now having siblings? It's really cool. It was one of those things my wife and I talked and she grew up always wanting siblings. I didn't not want them. I just didn't care. It wasn't my experience. I was like, I'm an only child, but having them is so cool. And it's really, it's hard to even really explain well what it's like to sit down with somebody that's a total stranger, but you fall into a conversation like you've known each other for years. And it's, I just sit there and I'm like, it's like, I've known you forever. And no, I've known, I mean, best I've known him for two years, but I would tell you that my sister and I talk like we've grown up together and same with the, my half brother from dad's side. We, it's like, we've all known each other forever. That gives me the goosebumps. I have like the warm and fuzzies about that. That's that's amazing. It's been really cool. And I think that's different from so many people's stories I've heard. So many people get rejected or it's overwhelming because it's a secret. Nobody wants to talk about it. I think some of that may be easier on my end because of my situation, because bio mom's gone and bio dad's in prison. I mean, he can talk to me or not, but it's not like we can really complicate his life any more than he's already complicated himself. So it's, it's been neat. Now, um, since, since making the discovery, do you feel like the same person you always were, or do you feel like a different person with a new identity? I think there's a mixed bag there for most of us, or at least for me. So, you know, the, everybody tells you, well, nothing's really changed. Well, everything changes all at once, but they are right in a way. I live in the same house. I have the same job. My wife is still my wife. My kids are still my kids. So there's a lot of my life that's still very much the exact same, but there's a whole nother side to it where suddenly I don't feel a lot different. What I've found, I think more is I when I'll, I'll go back. When I first discovered it, when I first made my discovery, my identity just collapsed. I think it, I just, I didn't know who I was. I'd look in the mirror when I was trying to shave and be like, I don't even know who I'm looking at. Cause everything that I've been told at some level was a lie. I mean, my parents loved me. Yes. Did they lie about that? No, 
but they also weren't technically my parents and they kept that from me. So everything was kind of built on some version of an omission or just a flat lie. And I think for me, what I've found is the more I've leaned into the stop fighting who you always were, be more creative, do creative things, stop trying to be this person that you were never really created to be that I've seen some changes and it's, you know, it's not big changes. I still have the same job. I need my job. So there, I I guess it's, it's both. I'm exactly who I was personality wise. I haven't really changed, but my personality makes a lot more sense because personality wise, I was nothing like the people that raised me. My, my adoptive parents were both super extroverts and I'm a super introvert. And we were just polar opposites in so many ways that I always attributed to, well, when you're, when you're somebody's kid, you rebel and you try to not be like them. So they're like this and I'm like this. Well, now that I've met my bio family, no, I'm, I'm biologically just like the people that I came from there. There's not a doubt in my mind from talking to them. So who did you get your creative side from? Both really. Um, bio mom was very craft oriented and doing stuff like that bio dad after i met him and started talking to his sister she sent me some pictures and i messaged him i was like hey are you holding out on me about something what's all this artwork and he um turns bowls paints draws um he's he's kind of one of those jack of all trades when i started seeing some of the things he makes Cause in the prison he's at, they, it's Angola prison in Louisiana. They have twice a year when it's not COVID a rodeo and they're allowed to make things and sell them there. And he paints, he draws, he makes like decorative wooden bowls and he sells all this. So really from both of them, which was not at all like the people that raised me, they were just not art. Wasn't their thing. And so have you started doing some of the creative things that you've always wanted to do? Yes. So what I found some through therapy, it it started with therapy where my therapist told me I needed to journal. So I started journaling and I found that I love to write. I will write and write and write if you let me. So from that, I've, there's a online magazine called Severance Magazine that I stumbled upon. I've written some essays for them. I've taken, I think I'm on my fourth writing class. I'm trying to put all of this into some kind of memoir form eventually because it's a really long, complicated story that's not done yet. But I write constantly. I'm looking across my room. There's, I've had them for a while and I on and off play them. There's three guitars hanging on my wall that it, it just all makes more sense to me now. So where I've always had the interest in it, I actually try to lean into that interest more now where used to, I was like, oh, there's not time for that. You need to do this. Now I'm like, well, no, that's, the reason you keep coming back to this is that's part of who you are. And if you lean into it, you'll probably enjoy it. There's some kind of release there to have ignored something for almost 50 years and suddenly start doing it when your brain's been telling you for 50 years, Hey, you should do this. You'd like it. And you're like, no, I don't do that. So it, there's, yeah, there's something really good about it. Now, I think you had mentioned earlier in the discussion that um, your adoptive father passed away. Yes. And what uh, year did he pass? 2019. So it was about 
just over a year or almost right at a year from when I made my discovery. Okay. And your adoptive mother, um, I think you mentioned has, um, dementia or Alzheimer's. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so what is your relationship like now with your mom, your adoptive mother? Um, it's, co- and our relationship had always been complicated. Um, it's, it's really sad looking back on it because I think she was, I'm trying to think of the counseling word for it is enmeshed. She wanted to be enmeshed in every, every facet of my life. And I was the opposite end of, I am super introverted and super private and I don't want you enmeshed in my life. So we butted heads a lot. But looking back, I think the sad part of that is I think a lot of that came from she was trying to build the relationship that she knew lacked biologically, but I couldn't know that because nobody would tell me what actually was going on. Um, We don't talk. We talk a little bit about the adoption. She gets very emotional and upset and still feels pretty threatened by me knowing any of it. My, My dad and I had one really good talk about a week and a half, two weeks before he passed when he was in the hospital and we just sat down and talked and we talked through quite a bit of it. Cause what I found was once I made the discovery and confronted them with it, we had probably an hour, hour and a half talk about, you know, what they knew, which was honestly very little. I was the word that most people used for me was a gray market adoption. They had a friend that was a doctor that my bio mom went to and said, I need to give this baby up for adoption they had just casually told their friend that they would like to adopt a baby and the doctor set it up. So there were state agency involved. There was state agency involvement, but not in the actual setting up of it. So when I was born, nobody was allowed in the hospital, but bio mom, doctor, and my parents attorney. And two days after I was born, the attorney came in, picked me up from the hospital, carried me out to the parking lot to my bio or to my adoptive parents. And they drove away with me. So my adoptive and bio families never, ever met. They knew nothing about each other. They, if, if they knew anything about each other, cause I've seen other people's adoption packets and things. When my dad passed, I searched their whole house before my mom moved, hoping I'd find something. If it, if it did exist, it's gone. And the lovely state of Texas even though I'm 50 and know I'm adopted makes me jump through a lot of hoops. I've not gotten all the way through yet to have any kind of records. So there's a lot of stuff. I I don't know if I'll ever really find. And have you been able to learn about your family's health history and has any of that um, been helpful? Um, Kind of like everything else. It just made things make more sense. My bio mom, now she was a smoker but she died at 48 with lung cancer. I had cancer in my late thirties. My half sister on bio mom's side has pretty severe cancer right now. One of my aunts has it. So when, when we found my cancer back when I was in my thirties, my parents or my parents that raised me, their reaction was, this is so weird. Nobody in our family has cancer. Well, yeah, but they never, you know, mentioned that I didn't necessarily biologically come from them. So that just kind of got skimmed over. Um, bio dad side, there's a lot of heart issues. So I've actually just kind of finished the 
roller coaster of the EKG, asleep, all the things that the cardiologist wanted just to see, is there anything I need to be more careful about? Because um, his, his dad died at 50 or 51 from just a massive heart attack. Um, bio dad has had a handful of heart attacks. His last one was in his mid sixties and he had the big Widowmaker one where he was walking down the run at the prison and just dropped dead and woke up in the hospital because they revived him. Wow. So, so yeah, there's, there's things I'm learning that I have to pay more attention to that had never been on my radar. Now, commonly in stories like this, um, especially when we go public with our story or tell others about our story. Um, sometimes it doesn't sit right with other members of our family. Um, has Have any family members or friends exited your life on this journey? And if so, why did they choose to do that? Nobody has left. Um, when I made my discovery in one of the points of contention when I met with my parents was with my own kids, I told them, well, you know, now that I've talked to you, my next step is I'm going home and I'm sitting the kids down back then. They ranged from 21 to, um, 10, I think. And I told my parents, I'm, I'm sitting them down to talk to them and explain to them what's going on. And my main reason for that was I have two kids on the autism spectrum and really all three of them, I, you know, if you know, going through this, there's, it's just a lot to deal with. And the last thing I needed them to do was hear a whispered conversation between my wife and I with the word adoption and have them think that either a, we're keeping a secret from them because as I've learned, that sucks or B that we're about to adopt a baby and not telling anybody. So my parents' reaction to that was not good. They did not want anybody to be told. And what I told them was your secret is not mine to have to carry and I'm going to go tell them. So that was probably the only point of contention with me being public with my story. Um, I think with my mom having Alzheimer's, it's a bit easier. If she knew that I got online and publicly spoke about this, she would probably lose her damn mind, but she doesn't really, she doesn't do the internet at all. So she has no idea. Um, she actually tells people about it now because part of the thing that her Alzheimer's has affected is some of her um, social abilities that she used to have where she kept everything really under wraps and now she kind of just spills information out. So that could have been a point of contention, but it's not because I actually recorded the first podcast I ever recorded was the week after I met my bio dad for the first time. And then less than a month after that, my adoptive dad had passed. And so my adopted mom would never know about it. And there's really nobody else. I mean, I don't have any other family to get mad about it. The bio family has all been very open and it's caused some struggles because there's a lot of, there's tension for them around the secret keeping around the, um, around that the aunt that discovered me always refers to what went on between my bio mom and her ex-husband as an affair. And it actually started when my bio mom was way too young to be having an affair with anybody. So there, there's a lot of contention with amongst the, them as a group, but kind of like you said about my 
um, half brother's mom, they've all recognized that I'm nothing but a product of something that I didn't have any control over. So it doesn't really carry over to me. So they, they've all, they've all been pretty, I've been open with them telling them that I, I write about this. I record podcasts about it and nobody has ever really pushed back on. We don't want you talking about things. That's good. It is. Cause I don't, I don't think it would have changed much if they pushed back other than we probably wouldn't talk. Um, I'm really proud of you for not allowing yourself to be a secret for somebody else and for allowing yourself to speak out about this. I know that that can be an internal struggle of sorts, you know, because it's hard, you know, we don't, we don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody in the family that we grew up with. Um, But we also shouldn't be kept a secret. We, you know, we deserve the truth. For sure. And then to be asked, you know, when we do make this, this discovery to, to be told, you can't talk about this, you can't tell anybody this, you know, to be told that we need to sweep it under the rug um, is horrible. It's really horrible. I have a lot of friends that I've met through like different online groups and things like that, that have had this experience. And that is one of the things that people have such a hard time with. I think for me, it's easier because I mean, while I'm the product of an affair, I'm not the product of an affair of one of the people that raised me. So why they kept adoption a secret, I'll never understand. And my mom can't explain it to me, but there's not really, I mean, there's not the shame that a lot of other people associate with a lot of other ways we become NPEs and MPEs. So there's that. And the other side of it for me, as far as talking about it really was, Every time I told somebody about it, it kind of became more real and settled for me. The more I didn't talk about it, the more it seemed like this abstract, weird thing. And the more I would speak about it, the more it actually became just just a truth of my life that I needed to face and deal with. So, Brad, if there are any parents who are listening today who have not been forthcoming with their children about their parentage, what would you say to them? I would say you have to do it. And if for, I mean, outside of all the obvious reasons that it's just the right thing to do, we've entered a time where it's probably not possible that you're actually going to keep this secret. I mean, you, they may die before your kids find out, but your kids are going to find out. And at least for me, I grew up in the family that is hypocritical as this is to look at now truth was everything. You were never supposed to lie. And I can't count the number of times that I was told, you know, if you ever have something that you need to tell us, it's so much better coming from you than some other person only to at 48 years old, have a random stranger on the internet tell me that I'm adopted. So that's, you know, nothing, nothing against the aunt that found me, but that by far is probably the shittiest way to find out anything is have a stranger tell you life altering news. So it comes much better from the people that are keeping the secret than a random strange person that then you have to go confront. And then my, my, the parents that raised me did pretty good, but I've seen so many sides from the other side of it where parents still deny, deny, deny. And there's, I don't know what to say other than watch any science show. DNA is DNA. It's not wrong. It's not confused. 
it, it, it just is what it is. Accept it. And you know, there, there's a lot, I think there's so much shame wrapped up in all of this and there really doesn't need to be. People have been having sex and doing things for years and places and with people that they probably shouldn't have that it's time that we all grow up and realize that these things have happened and stop trying to act like they don't happen because they, they just do. So I guess that would be the big one is just rip the bandaid off, tell the truth, do it nicely. And then once you've done it, step back and give that, give the person time to deal with all of it because the answer of, and now everything's going to be fine and we're still your parents is way too short-sighted. I agree. Absolutely. And what advice or guidance would you give um, others who are going through this to help them cope, heal from the trauma and accept this new life altering truth? The first is therapy. I've, I've been in, in it before I ever found this out. I'm back in it after I found this out. You've got, even, even when you have friends and like, I have a great wife that I can talk to about all kinds of things, but she doesn't have the skills or the training to ask the right questions to get me to talk about the things I need to talk about that I don't even know I need to talk about. So therapy has been huge for me. Um, I think the support groups online are great with the caveat of you shouldn't let this become, I guess, for lack of a better word, your label. Like, yes, I, I'm a late discovery adoptee. I'm a, have a misattributed parent or not parent expected event, but that's not who I am. That's just something that happened. So I think a lot of people wrap this into a whole identity and it, it's, it, it is part of what happened to you, but so are a lot of things that they don't need to become your full identity. And then the other, the other side of therapy, which I'm hoping to get back to is somebody here locally in Dallas, they had trouble finding enough people that were willing to commit to the group, but opened a group, um, pro a processing group, a therapeutic processing group for NPEs. And it was such a cool experience to sit down in a room with four or five other people that have all had the same experience and be able to hash through it with other people that do empathize and understand because they've had the same shock. And those unfortunately right now are kind of few and far between just because not many people are trained. The last thing I'd say about it is, and I'm not a therapist, so, you know, take, take what I say with a grain of salt. I am not really fixated on, you need to find a therapist that's competent and worked with a lot of NPEs. What I found was a therapist that I clicked with that knew how to cut through a lot of my bullshit and keep asking me the right questions. And that's really, in my opinion, all that matters in therapy is somebody that you're willing to talk to because you can have the most competent therapist in a MPE event. But if I don't like talking to you, we're never going to get anywhere. We're just going to keep circling and not go far. And are there any uh, online groups specifically that you would recommend? Um, so I'm, um, I'm part of a group called Right to Know that currently is pushing a lot of donor conceived legislation mainly because what they their belief and I I agree with them is that if you can get through the red tape that the donor conception um business has wrapped around birth certificates and everything the rest of the birth certificates for adopted people and other people that are kept from their original birth certificates and actual original true story goes away 
when you get rid of the donor conception one, because that's the one that people have focused the most on trying to make private. So that's, that's what they do. Um, they run a Facebook group called this MPE. So M is in Mary PE life. That's a good group. Um, severance magazine, like I mentioned, it's severancemag.com. I think it's run by a wonderful lady named BK Jackson. And basically she publishes people's essays about everything from adoption to misattributed parentage to being donor conceived. She publishes a lot of research articles and then it's just a good group to get connected and acquainted with because there's just a lot of good information there where you get to know people. And it's, it seems, I don't, I don't know what your experience was like, but for me, when I found this out, I would have told you that, you know, I was one of maybe a few hundred people that have had this experience only to find there's thousands of us. And I think as soon as you start realizing that there's thousands of us that are going through this, it's not such a lonely feeling anymore. Even when you don't know all those other people. I I felt extremely alone. I felt like I was the only person in the world at first. And then I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, you know, these DNA kits that you can just order now, you know, online are becoming very mainstream and more and more people are going to make these shocking discoveries and they're going to feel alone. They're going to feel lost. They're going to be in shock. Um, They're not going to know where to turn, which is why I originally started writing uh, about my story and then decided to go the podcast route. I felt like that could just reach more people um, who maybe needed someone to feel like they could relate to Um, but back in 2016, that wasn't so popular, you know, the podcasting thing and, and really the DNA kits were only kind of just becoming a, you know, a more mainstream thing. So, um, I really did feel alone and I had no one to talk to. There were no support groups. Um, therapists didn't really have a lot of experience, you know, with it. Um, so, I was very relieved when I started finding that there were more and more people whose story was so similar to mine um, and that I could share my story um, in the hopes that it could be somewhat of a, maybe even like a survival guide, you know, for them as well. But yeah, in the beginning, I felt like it was just me, but I knew that these kinds of secrets were going to blow up, that it was going to become huge and that a lot of people were going to make some really shocking discoveries over the next, you know, few years. And that's exactly what's happening. I think that's absolutely true. And I I think we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg of it because I, I say that and so many more people are doing them. And then at the same time, I've talked to so many people that are like, after hearing your story, I'm never spitting in a tube and sending it off to anybody on the internet. I'm like, well, that that's a fair decision. But so a lot of people are scared to know, but I think in the end, it's just, it's going to keep going because even if you don't do it, somebody in your family will do it. And then the connection still happens. And then everybody starts trying to piece it together. So it's, you know, I, I don't think my half brother on my dad's side will ever take a DNA test, but I have, and that's not going to change that. Somebody's going to match to me if they do. And, you can't really get around it now. 
Exactly. Exactly. Now, if other NPEs or MPEs or, or adoptees um, relate to your story and they would like to reach out to you, is there a way that they can do that? Probably the easiest is my email. So it's M as in Mary, P-E-Brad at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram as Brad1407. I'm on Facebook, but I hardly look at it other than in some of the support groups that deal with this. So I don't really get on there often, but people are welcome to email me. Um, if you want to add in the show notes, I'll send you the links to the severance magazine essays I've written. And I think all of those at the end have all my contact information links in them. Awesome. Thank you for that. So I really want to thank you for sharing your story And I am very happy that I've connected with another NPE. I have the very best wishes for you in your journey. Please keep me updated. I always really love to update the Facebook page as NPEs are making, you know, just more discoveries through their journey, especially if you have any other siblings pop up. Um, I do like to keep the listeners updated um, on your stories. So please feel free to let me know. Okay, that'd be great. And now to my listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode today. As always, I leave you with an important message. If you are a parent who has not been forthcoming with your child about their true parentage, I urge you to share the truth with them. Withholding this information for any reason will negatively affect your relationship and your child's mental health down the road. If you're not sure the best way to reveal the truth there are qualified therapists that can help you communicate with your child in a healthy way. Our lives are enriched by having parents who are honest with us. Honesty saves a great deal of pain in the future, and it fosters an environment of trust and genuine intimacy between parents and children. Discovering a non-paternal event later in life is very traumatic. We have a right to know where we come from and to know our true ancestry and our mental and physical health history. And while sometimes it's said that the truth can be a double-edged sword, it's far more harmful and damaging to withhold it from the people we love. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, please email thesecretinmydna at gmail.com. Your story could end up being a survival guide for another NPE who may be struggling or feel alone in their discovery. You do not have to give identifying information, and if you prefer to share your story anonymously, names can be changed or abbreviated for privacy purposes. To hear more amazing DNA discovery stories, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at anchor.fm slash thesecretinmydna. The Secret in My DNA also has a Facebook page where our NPEs can share photos and updates of their journey, so please go give it a like and a follow. I'm your host, Michelle Perret, signing off till next time.